We're going to be in Mark's Gospel um, today. It will be up on the screen or in your uh, pew Bibles. Um, there um, you can open up to it. And I haven't uh, been in Mark um, very much in Easter. In fact, you'll find very few Easter sermons preached from the Gospel of Mark. And that is because the Gospel of Mark um, is quite condensed. It doesn't have a lot of the details that the other Gospel writers include in the story of Easter. And so it's not often used, but it is shorter um, and it provides a different perspective. Uh, Mark, all the way through his gospel, is kind of condensed. He's the Reader's Digest version of the gospel. Um, that's, that's how he does it. And so he gets right to the point that he wants to make as he, as he tells the story. So his account of the resurrection does not include things such as the earthquake. It doesn't include the descending angel. It doesn't include the terrified Roman guards, uh, the Lord's appearance to the three women or three or four women that came to the tomb. Um, it doesn't include the details of the encounter with Mary Magdalene or the men on the Emmaus Road. It, it just doesn't talk about all of those details. In fact, the interesting thing about Mark is that he doesn't even emphasize too much the story of the resurrection. But what he does do instead is talk about the response of people to the resurrection. That's his focus. And he talks about the lack of belief by the disciples. Now, if anyone should have believed that Jesus was resurrected from the dead, it should have been the disciples who had spent the last three years with him, who had heard him say repeatedly, and I will rise again on the third day. But they did not believe it. And so Mark looks to the resurrection through the lens of these disciples who had been with Jesus who did not believe it at first, and, and he watches as Jesus brings them to faith again, and then as he takes them back to Galilee, where they started ministry together, and he sends them out with a great commission and commands them to be witnesses of the resurrection. So I want to just read this account for you from Mark chapter 16, and uh, we'll read the first 16 verses. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they loaded up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go. Tell his disciples and Peter he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb, 
They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast or driven seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. When they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe. Afterwards, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. These returned and reported it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later, Jesus appeared to the eleven. As they were eating, he rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Now, Jesus was seen uh, by the first witness, Mary Magdalene, and then by the two witnesses on the Emmaus Road, and then by the 11 disciples, and then we know that he was seen by at least 500 other people, according, uh, I believe it's to um, John, the Gospel in John. There is nothing so well established in all of the life of Jesus historically as a resurrection. You can go back and prove that Jesus did all kinds of things in history, but there is no more evidence for anything that Jesus did more than the fact that he was resurrected from the dead. The Jew, the Gentile, uh, the priest, the Roman guard, the women who went to the tomb, the disciples who were so hesitant to believe that Jesus was resurrected, the witnesses whose testimony um, cannot be denied, the 500 people who witnessed his resurrection, all of that is incredible evidence for the resurrection. In fact, it takes more faith not to believe in the resurrection than it does to refuse to believe in it when you start looking at history and all of the the evidence of the resurrection. But I want us this morning to look at these people in this scripture that had something to do with the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. There were these three women... Uh, in this account, who came, uh, one of the other Gospels adds another one. Um, but Mark records these three that came soon after the Sabbath was over. On the Sabbath day, they could not prepare his body. They could not touch his body. They couldn't do anything on the Sabbath to prepare him for burial. And you will remember that they had hurriedly taken him off the cross and put him in the tomb. And so he was not really ready. And so these women, very early in the morning, before the sun came out, they went to finish the job with their sweet spices of preparing his body. They loved Jesus, but all of their hopes had been crushed and dashed. They faced questions and they faced impossibilities. When they got to the tomb, how would they get in there? Who would roll the stone away? How would they get in? But their love for Jesus kept pushing them to that tomb, and they still wanted to go and prepare his body. Salome was one of those, the mother of James and John, the the two that she had put up to asking, which one of us is going to sit beside you in the kingdom of heaven? And I wonder what she thought that morning of her hopes for her two sons now that Jesus was dead. These women 
had been remarkable women in that culture and that they were well-to-do women. They had actually spent a great deal of the last three years using their resources to support the ministry of Jesus. Again, that was a very unusual role for women in that day. And now what would these women do with their lives? Now that Jesus was dead and buried, and yet these women, not the disciples, not anyone else, they were the first people to the tomb, and they were the first ones to see that the stone had been rolled away. They were the first ones to go in and discover that where Jesus was and where they were to bring their and use their spices, there was an empty slab and some cloth. They were the first ones to hear and to see the angel and for the angel to say, He is not here, He is risen. And they were the first ones to be sent by the angel on on a mission to Peter and to the disciples to tell them that He was risen. Sometimes it is when things become difficult that in going anyway, in spite of the difficulties, that the difficulties are removed. (laughs) The women headed to the tomb not knowing how the the stone would get rolled away, but when they got there, they saw the stone had been rolled away and that Jesus had been resurrected as a result of just going ahead in a difficult situation. The other thing that really amazes me about this early passage is that Jesus saved most of his appearances for Galilee. And having been in in Israel and and, um, absolutely loving my time in Galilee, and then kind of being, uh, I, I just didn't enjoy Jerusalem near to the extent that I enjoyed the countryside of Galilee and and all of that area. And it's interesting that Jerusalem put Jesus to death and hung him on a cross. And when Jesus was resurrected. He left Jerusalem, spent very little time. He met with Mary, and he met Peter in Jerusalem. But outside of that, he saved, and he said, he told the disciples, I'm going ahead of you. Meet me in Galilee. And he went back to that place um, instead of the place where he'd been crucified. And he went back to the place where he called his disciples to come follow me, down there by the Sea of Galilee. And he took them back after his resurrection. He says, meet me back in that place where I called you originally. And when he got back there, he gave them the great commission and sent them out again and said, now follow me (laughs) to the ends of the earth, around the world with the good news of the gospel. These women, these women were sent by the angel to tell the disciples and Peter. I don't think there are any two words that ever meant more to Simon Peter than those two words, and Peter. (laughs) Judas had betrayed Jesus, and then he had taken his own life. But Peter had denied Jesus three times and said, I don't know him. I don't know anything about him. The question for Peter was, am I still one of the disciples? Am I still one of Jesus' disciples? (laughs) 
Was he in or was he out? Were there, were any of these disciples really in or out? They didn't know. Jesus had died. They'd been following him for three years. They didn't know. But it's so unique that the angel says, and go tell the disciples and Peter. Now, one of the things you may not know about Mark is Mark was not there. He was a very young man. He was not there. He was not one of the disciples. He was not there. He didn't see for himself Jesus do all the things that he wrote about in the book of Mark. He interviewed Peter, and most of Mark is written from listening to Peter tell stories about walking with Jesus. And it's interesting that it is only in the gospel of Mark that we have these instructions from the angel to go to the disciples and Peter. <laughs> because I think no words ever meant more to Peter than those words, go to the disciples and Peter. <laughs> Peter could never forget the words from his risen Savior that were still interested particularly in him. That Jesus was not just interested in the disciples, but he was very interested in Peter, who had betrayed him. Even denying, or not betrayed him, but denying him. And then the other thing that's unique about that is you will remember that every time, you know, Peter kind of had foot and mouth disease. And, and he often said things without thinking. And sometimes Jesus would. Um, discipline him some for what he said. And if you will walk through the Gospels, you will see that when Jesus was disciplining Peter, he would always call him Simon, his original name. But here, he does not call him Simon after he had betrayed him three times. Instead, Jesus says, and go tell the disciples and Peter the rock. And you remember when Jesus you know, asked, who do people say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. <laughs> and so if anyone ever messed up, it was Peter. And the response of Jesus to Peter to single Peter out for restoration um, is incredible. If Christ is so ready to forgive and to restore Peter, then there is great hope for every single one of us. <coughs> you and I. We can sin. We can mess up big time like Peter and know that God is not done with us. And also, there's a lesson here for us, because if God, if Christ can call Peter and restore Peter, then there is a call for each one of us to extend mercy to others who have messed up in their journey. That's Peter. And then there's Mary Magdalene. We are told that Jesus first appeared to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. Now, it's very interesting. I mean, there was no reason to bring that up. We know that from other scriptures. We know that from Mark. We know that from the other Gospels. And yet, 
every time that Mary Magdalene is referenced, it seems like again and again and again, they want us to know, the gospel writers, that Jesus had cast seven demons out of her. It's astounding. He might have made his first appearance to Peter. He might have made his first appearance to John, the beloved disciple. He might have made his first appearance to his own mother, Mary. But he didn't. Instead, he made his first appearance to Mary Magdalene, who was last at the cross, first at the tomb. She was the woman he had cast seven demons out of, and he appeared to her first. And if it hadn't been for him, she would have just been another woman, possessed by seven demons. But Jesus went to her. And I think we learn from Mary Magdalene that Jesus has grace for the greatest of sinners and that the gospel really does have power to change lives and to make us new creations in him. But we also learn from Mary Magdalene that every one of us, regardless of our past, regardless of where we've been, regardless of what we have done, Jesus has a mission for us. Because Jesus takes Mary Magdalene, and she is the one that is sent to tell the disciples and Peter. Not anyone else. She's sent. Jesus could have sent angels. Jesus could have sent anyone. But he sends Mary Magdalene to tell the disciples for him. And if Jesus can send Mary Magdalene, Jesus can use every single one of us in sharing the gospel good news and telling other people about him. A story that takes a lot of verses in the gospel of Luke is summed up in just a couple of words here in Mark. It says that Jesus appeared to two disciples while they were walking in the country. Mark says that Jesus appeared to them in a different form and that they returned to tell the rest and that they didn't believe them. And of course, all of that fits in with the account in Luke on the Emmaus Road. And it's interesting that you have two different people sent to these 12 disciples. You have Mary Magdalene, she tells them, and they scoff, and they say, well, that's just a, woman, a woman's report, and they don't believe that. And then God sends these two disciples, they weren't part of the twelve, but they were disciples who had met Jesus on the Emmaus Road, and they go and tell these disciples everything that they know. And when they get there, they don't believe those two disciples either, and they were men. They simply did not believe. And I want to suggest to you today that while it is very critical that each one of us share the good news of Jesus, that people will never really personally believe in the Lord Jesus Christ until they encounter him for themselves. I can talk to you, others can talk to you, you can talk to others, but none of us really experience and believe the gospel until we have had an encounter 
with the Lord Jesus Christ until we have done personal business with Him. We, we don't become believers in Christ just because of our family background or just because we've gone to church or just because we've done this or that or something else. Every one of us has to personally engage in a relationship and an encounter with Jesus Christ. And then there is another group. There are the 11 disciples in this story. And those are the ones who refuse to believe for the longest time. And Easter is good news <laughs> for those of us who have had all the right reasons to believe, and yet there's times when we just don't believe. Ever had those moments in your life where you, you know and you still can't believe? You just struggle with doubts and all kinds of things. And you've been raised right. You've done all the right things. You've heard all the right things. You've known all the Bible stories and all of that. And still there is doubt in your life. <laughs> Easter is good, no, good news for those who know more than their behavior expresses. These disciples had heard Jesus talk about being resurrected. I don't know how many times Jesus had told them, and on the third day, I will rise again. Sometimes, those of us who have the most reason to believe find ourselves lost in doubt and unbelief. I can't really underscore too much. The fact that these 11 disciples had been with Jesus for three years. They had witnessed everything. The feeding of the 5,000. They had witnessed Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. They had witnessed all of that. And yet when he is resurrected, they do not believe. <laughs> Mary Magdalene tells them they don't believe. The Emmaus Road uh, men tell them they do not believe. Jesus came. He, he met with the, the ten disciples without Thomas. Thomas was gone. And they go and tell Thomas once they believe. And Thomas says, well, I'm not going to believe until I put my fingers in his side. Until I can see his hands. That's how determined they were in their unbelief, even though they had experienced more than anyone else, Jesus. So I want to say to you, those of you who have been raised in the church, those of you who, um, you have more reason than most people in McKenzie County to have faith, <laughs> to believe. And yet you find moments when your doubt overtakes you. Don't be highly alarmed at that. Even the disciples who had lived with Jesus, had witnessed Jesus, had seen everything, when it came to the resurrection, they didn't believe until they saw Jesus for themselves. <laughs> when doubt comes, resist it, practice faith, and trust Jesus to build your faith. Jesus did not just throw in the towel on his disciples just because they didn't believe immediately. He kept sending. He, kept, he sent Mary Magdalene. He sent the two men. Then he appeared himself to the eleven or the, the, the ten. And then he let Thomas put his hands 
into his side and feel it for himself. He worked to build their faith, and God is faithful enough to you when your doubt overtakes your faith. Trust God to restore and to rebuild your faith. Jesus wants us to know, as we come to the end of this this text, that the whole world needs the gospel. The whole world needs the resurrection. The whole world needs the story of Easter in every part of the globe. It is the same. There is a sinful, corrupt people who are far away from God. And every person on the face of the earth needs the redeeming blood of Christ. They need the the renewing of the Holy Spirit. They need to be reconciled and, and put in a good relationship with God. And Jesus wants us to know that that salvation is not to be limited. That salvation is for everyone in the whole world. It is to be offered freely to all mankind. It cannot be limited. And so he says to us, he says to these disciples, as he sends them out, one time he had stood by the lake and he said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And after the resurrection, Jesus takes them back to the same place in Galilee and he says to them and he gives them this great commission and he says, now go into all the world and teach people to believe and and baptize them. (laughs) Wow. Wow. We are to believe and we are to be baptized. Now there are some who may not receive full benefit of their baptism because they have not yet been saved, but that should not diminish the importance of baptism. Um, Jesus emphasizes that in all of the Great Commission accounts in the Gospels that we are to be baptized. But let me say this, without belief, without belief in Christ, we are lost. And the Great Commission says this so well to us here in Mark. Without belief in Christ, we are lost and we will perish because we have been damned by God for our sin. Jesus did not go through everything he went through in the week of suffering. He didn't die on the cross. He wasn't whipped uh, just for, for no reason. If, if I could get saved... If I could have fellowship with God in some other way that didn't entail Jesus dying on a cross, then why would he do that? I want to say to you today that the scriptures are clear that apart from a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, apart from belief and faith in Jesus, there is no hope of me or anyone else going to heaven when we die. Jesus died for a reason, and it's because he wanted to save us from the hell he went through for us for three days. And he wanted to save us so that we could have an eternal relationship with him. Chris Hodges is the pastor of uh, Church of the Highlands in Alabama. He has an autistic son. And he shares a story about his son. He says, We were on a vacation with several other families at a ski resort in Colorado. We were probably there with about 20 people. 
We'd gone into a Starbucks to get coffee, and Joseph, my son, went into the bathroom at one of the very last minutes that we were there as we were getting ready to leave. And when, we, when he came out of the bathroom, we were all gone. He left in the opposite direction, and he says, I freaked out. Autistic children are set off by unusual situations. I knew he wouldn't be able to communicate with anyone. We couldn't find him. We couldn't help him. He couldn't find us. It was like the worst 25 minutes of my life. I, he says, I was sobbing. I was crying out when Joseph saw me 100 yards away, and he yelled, Dad! And he says, I looked, and I saw him crossing the stone bridge, and I just ran for my son Joseph. And he said, in that moment... I understood how passionately God the Father seeks the lost. In losing Joseph, I was the father who lost something of great value. And the only thing I could think about was finding him. That's the heart of God. That is how God feels about me. That is how God feels about you. That is how God feels about every living person in McKinsey County. He cares deeply, and he cares so much that he sent his son to die on a cross. And then he raised him from the dead so that every one of us might believe and have eternal life.